0: Lifeway. 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 LifeWay Leadership Podcast Network. You're listening to Five Leadership Questions podcast. I'm your host Todd Atkins, and today I am here with Chandler Vanoy. What? <laughs> what is that? I don't know. Did I, you hear that? I, I take, heard it. I'm taking your. That was, was trying uh, to liven it up a little bit earlier. That was short. It was shorter than it needed to be. When's uh, the last time you've done one of those? I don't know. It would be on new churches because, oh, okay. yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's been a it long time. My concern is you just lost half your listeners already. Today. Yeah, it could happen. <laughs> well, they heard you, and now you're yeah right. now, now you're back. Hopefully. It's familiar. <laughs> your voice has now become familiar enough. Brad Wagner, yeah. Doctor Brad Wagner. Uh, I've always appreciated that you never like played the doctor card. By the way, like yeah. you're always Brad. Even in seminary, I felt like you were Brad. Yeah, I I prefer that. That's good. Well, um, what was really weird for me is over the weekend I had, uh, well, over the weekend and into Monday, so Sunday Monday, I had Brad Wagner, Brad Lominik Brad Leek, who's the uh, XP at my church, and. Oh, one more Brad. Yeah, you're just lacking Brad. Brad. Barnett. Brad Barnett. Yeah, all you need is uh, Brad Pitt now. Who's over uh <laughs> student. And everybody that was uh, commenting or asking me a question about the podcast, because some oh, people really? heard new music or whatever. And um, I got really confused and actually ended up talking to Brad Leak, my XP, this morning, because I thought I had you know, engaged with him and answered him, but I had not. Uh, it was Brad Lomining.
1: Yep. Definitely sounds confusing.
0: It is, it is, because both those are Brad L's. Yeah. That's crazy. Uh, so, okay. Uh, that voice you heard, of course, is Brad Wagner, who's become a, a frequent guest and much-loved and appreciated guest, um, mostly by you guys. Uh, some, some with me. Um, <laughs> but uh, today we're talking about, uh, this is episode three of Church Staffing Issues, uh, and we're talking about how to structure church staff. So this should be a good one. Um, just because there's so many different so ways, many ways to do this now, uh, than there ever were before. So, uh, let's start with the biblical calling of church staff and w- w-
2: why does a church need a staff? Okay, great question. I, my, my default, I have two really consistent default passages when I think about the local church, uh, Colossians 1, 28 and 29, which I think nails the whole mission, vision piece, the biblical mandate, if you will. And then Ephesians 4, 11 through 16, I think really nails the, the, the often, I think, neglected emphasis that um, those who are called out, to serve as pastors, teachers, evangelists, et cetera, as it explains in Ephesians 4. By the way, usually lists in the Bible are not comprehensive. Mm. Um, and, but, but it's a representative sample, I think, of the kinds of things that people can be called out to do. And, but those people are called out to equip the saints to do the work of ministry. And I know we're all on the same page in that, right. but, but I think the, the question about the calling of staff and why it is a church need staff, I, I would immediately go to this text because you see this pattern of people who are dedicated in a specific way to the task of equipping the saints. Now in our context in modern history and whatnot, you know, we, the way that looks for us is if a church is big enough, you have the senior pastor, the lead pastor, if you will. Right. And then usually you start adding other staff members as the church grows and as the church can afford that. And, uh, but I I think Ephesians four and other passages give us a biblical, um, precedence, if you will, or permission, maybe, (laughs) for doing that, for having staff. I think it it makes sense. Okay, so one of the soapboxes that I kind of have is
0: um, uh, a—I'm already going to go here, and I may already be chasing a rabbit, so forgive me, listeners—is But Priest of the Believer. Right. Um, Because the whole idea of calling in the church is— I think has gotten somewhat confusing in that I've had... Uh, You know, people in the church that um, are not on staff, they're they're volunteer leaders, Mm -hmm. and they are diesel. And as they continue to grow in spiritual maturity, and as they continue to grow in spiritual maturity using their gifts and service to Christ, there naturally seems to come this uh, point of decision where they struggle with calling to full-time ministry. Right. And I think, in part, what's interesting is... Have we made this something different in the modern day? Because when I, you know, if you look at, I would say how we got here in church staffing structure the way that we are really goes back to, you know, like the first parachurch ministry in the end of the 20s was interVarsity. You know, the Brits sent Mm -hmm. over some people to help the heathen college students of America (laughs) Uh, World War II and economics, I think, plays a huge part because uh, you have people come back from the war. America is booming because we're yep. pretty much the only ones left. We have tons of money coming in. Uh, we start to create a suburban experience, and churches are actually given land, um, and churches with you know increased number of people um, being in church. Uh, From a cultural thing and a societal thing, and having gone through a war and all that Mm -hmm. stuff. But um, and then contributing to those churches, mid churches had more finances to hire more staff. Uh, they got more sophisticated, and you had things like Flakes Formula, which if you don't know Flakes don't Formula, know. Google it, uh, or you know just wait for some guy to uh, read about it and then present it as a com- at a conference as if it's his own thing. Uh, I wonder uh, who that would be, and then you'll think <laughs> he's a genius, and you'll be like, oh, this is yeah. crazy. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but all that to say, I think as we've continued down this path, our churches have gotten, uh, bigger and bigger. And even if you look at the last 30 or 40 years with the church growth movement, I think that there's, I think that there may be an issue that we are coming toward rapidly. Whenever there is a major, uh, economic decline, we're in, we're in trouble uh, because the way our our budgets are created for churches, mm-hmm. uh, the way that church practices now, I think we've almost trained the people of our church to expect that we do the work of the ministry, not that we're equipping mm-hmm. them to Our job is to do the work of the ministry, not to equip them to do the work mm-hmm. of the ministry. Um, and I think our seminaries, even to a certain degree, um, you know, focus on that idea of, calling and being a, a specialist yeah. and you know yeah. preaching and hiring staff out mm-hmm. to do these things. So it is, I think <clears throat> we enjoy when it comes to priests of the believer, we say, oh, yeah, the communication part that I don't need a priest to pray through. Um, you know, the the sacerdotal duties. <clears throat> There's an emotional sacerdotalism where we still think that the pastor is set apart. Mm-hmm. from all have been called, all have been sent. And I think it's an emotional thing. And I think most of our pastors actually enjoy feeling that much more special. It's almost like, mm-hmm. yeah, I know I can pray to God, and I don't need to pray through a priest, but the pastor, he's he's got like a red mm-hmm. phone.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Well, I, yeah. Interact with me yeah, on well, this because we Chandler. About uh, this. I don't know about you, but I almost fell asleep during Todd's historical analysis there, but no, probably I probably got it from no, you. No, like yeah, yeah, years yeah ago you anyway. probably stole that from me. Yeah, <laughs> um, no, no, yeah, I think it's good to th- be analytical and think about there. There are confounding variables and many things that can influence what happens in in churches. But here's here's where I went with your statement or your question <laughs> sort of sort of a question was any any anything can be twisted or taken to an extreme or right. get off track right the the issue is and are some called out i think we we see a clear precedent uh precedence of that in scripture and and in and in church practice, especially in in modern history. Um I don't I don't personally think that's the problem, as long as they understand what their job is. Right. And it and that's the key in my mind is that the clergy are not the ones that are supposed to do all the ministry, right. you know, where everybody else sits around and applauds them and and has to be cajoled into helping out now and then. It's that's that's the key issue for me. The priesthood of the believer includes Ephesians 2. 10 and other verses that right. talk about uh, there, everybody's a minister in that sense. Everybody serves the Lord and the church and the, and the the lost community that we live in. So as long as we keep that straight, right? I think that's the biggie. I I don't have an issue with people being called into vocational Christian service per se. I
0: don't I don't either. But I think it's gotten more confusing for people just in the course of their growth and spiritual maturity, I think that comes to question more often maybe than it should. Like this is just natural that you're growing in leadership and you're leading more in our church. It doesn't necessarily mean you're supposed to leave your job and, and yeah. come work at the church. Yeah.
1: Which at that point you're equipping. You're, you're pouring into them. They're growing in their leadership that goes even beyond their role in the church to their role yeah. wherever they are.
2: Okay. Now, now another
1: thing that could be another
2: rabbit here is that there's a lot of individualistic thinking and subjectivity to this idea of a call. Like a lot of people call themselves to vocational service, <laughs> and I think I think it's much healthier to see where the church calls people right. mm-hmm. to ministry. And that's a whole other topic. That's a good topic. But right. but I think it's part of the problem. Um, well, I, I do think it comes into uh, to church
0: staffing as well, though, because when we, we talk about leadership pipeline and what a healthy one looks like, it means that people are coming from within. And a lot of times uh, that means that those people are going to act naturally progress from being volunteers and leaders to, at some point, staff. I mean – they understand the culture, they understand uh, what your church is and its values and its vision, and they share those. It's a good fit. So that makes natural, perfect sense that that would, that would happen. So I think those things do actually, you know, connect and go together.
1: So let's move to the next question. So where we've talked about why churches need a staff, the biblical calling of it. So let's get into the structures now. So why does the structure of your church staff matter? So we've said it's all about equipping. How does the yeah. structure help you do that?
2: Yeah. So my my first thought is that, and I, I personally think this is important, although you two jump in if you have a different uh, or opposing views. But it to me, let's not get the cart in front of the horse. It, it It's strategy first, hmm. not staffing. So it's got to be based on your ministry strategy. I remember years and years ago when I was at Trinity Seminary studying with Robert Coleman, um, one of the things we got to do was write a ministry philosophy document. And it was, it was a theology and strategy kind of all combined about if you could, if you could describe the ideal church, what would it look like? Okay. So, strategy precedes staffing. And I'm not sure that, that always takes place. I think we get caught into routines and we just do the same thing. But, but so the strategy that a pastor and those around him will lay out can then help bring and, uh, uh, clarity. So that's my next word. So strategy is the first word. The second word is clarity. I think staff structure is an expression of clarity it brings clarity to the activities of the church. Like where are we going to deploy our resources? Right. Where are we going to, where are we going to deploy our energies? Who's responsible for what? Cause as you know, the old adage, what's everybody's responsibility is nobody's responsibility. Right. So division of labor would be a business term, but so clarity, it brings clarity to what a church is wanting to do. And then it aligns the resources, including human resources, in a way that matches strategy. So uh, you've gotta have structure and you've gotta have goals and clarity of organization. Uh, I think that clarity is the
0: number one thing that this provides here. And what happens is either a church, if it's an older church, kind of drifts into something over the course of time. They they drift into their strategy or they drift into their structure. Uh, And then, if you have a church that goes from you know plant to large church, it grows really fast. You can have some of those same issues. Um, one of the the stories I've always loved about that really combines structure and strategy is um, is the Winchester Mansion. Are you familiar with the Winchester yeah. Mansion? Um,
1: I've heard you say it before.
0: Yeah, it it it. You know, uh, so Winchester. We all know the the firearm. Uh, most of us do anyway. Um, so he uh, he passes away, leaves his wife a ton of money. And it's not just, you know, once. It's every day, $26,000 in, you know, the early 1900s. You, you start to do the math on that. And you're like, this woman has had tons and tons of money coming in. So if you go... Um, Northern California is where she ends up because she moves from, um, I think it was Boston, out that way. And she builds for 22 years. She just builds her house. There's not an architectural plan. There's uh, not, you know, it's never going to be completed because some medium told her that um, she had to go build this house for the ghosts of all the people that um, her husband's firearms killed and all this stuff. But the point is, if you go and visit the Winchester Mansion, there are uh, over 100 bathrooms. She never used the same one twice, supposedly. So they didn't find her, the ghost and not find her. Uh, but I'm not joking about this. There, There's, win- there's staircases, there's just, spiral just, staircases. there's spirals, go, go to the
2: restroom that often, maybe? I guess. Uh, yeah, that doesn't make sense, Don, uh,
0: but anyway. <laughs> uh, no, the same one twice in a row. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I see. Uh, big, big key uh, there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, big key there. <laughs> Once okay, ever. So, so, <laughs> so spiral cases, staircases that just go into the ceiling, doors that don't, you know, Open to anywhere, windows that opened into other rooms. It was completely uh, random and haphazard. And um, she just did what, you know, they just started when they finished one thing, they just started another thing, whatever
1: hmm.
0: looked good to them at the time. So there's this sprawling estate. Um, nothing's connected.
1: Nothing's no really
0: connected. No rhyme or reason. And so I feel like, you know, we have that situation sometimes. Um, in an organization or in a, yeah.
2: a, worse off in a church. Yeah, I, I had a couple of more precise illustrations. I'll, Go I'll, for it. I'll <laughs> use here. <laughs> Let's hear these. The, the, the one, you know, when you talk about staff and adding staff, uh, whether it's bivocational, vocational, part-time, whatever, is just, it just, there's some common sense to this, you know, and I put down right. here, you know, one person can build a house, okay, right. but it's going to take a long time. Mm. And, and so the division of labor and adding energy and talent, I think it speeds up the process. And then the, the other thought I have is, is you know, one person can't move a car, but several can. And so those are ideas that get a, around the idea of, of expanding the opportunity we have to get some things done.
0: So over the course of time, do you think that—how um, have, how have we seen— staff orgs
2: change staff. Yeah. I'm sorry, org charts change. Yeah, well, within our denomination denominational setting, and I think there are other denominations that are similar. Um, but I would say, you know when I entered into the ministry, which to date me was like 1979 is when I graduated from college, went into the ministry, a, a lot of the churches in our denomination, they had senior pastor, a worship leader, and a minister of education. And usually the minister of education was sort of the number two higher Mm. because a lot of churches were organized with a lot of age graded stuff and ministries during the week. Church was 24 seven. It wasn't just on Sunday. And, and that, that minister of education kind of served as an administrator, um, one who would help organize and train the laity and mobilize them. And so, um, that that's kind of the world I entered into. Okay, and then you'd have, if if you're if you're big enough and could afford it, you had a, a youth pastor, or student pastor, and then children's, right, whatever. So, that's now that's still somewhat common, I think. I, you know, I don't have any recent data in front of me. Maybe you do, Todd, but um, I, I I know we've trended away from the minister of education, right? Partly partly because the seminaries have. Propagated the idea of just preach the word, and so a lot of things have become about the Sunday event. Right. And so I remember one well known pastors said that of other pastors that they, they divorced the minister of education and married the worship guy. Um, So there was a, there was an, an increased priority on what took place on Sunday morning. And that altered the way that a lot of churches have done staffing, right? Uh, There still has always been an age graded thing. I think in most churches, they're still focused on how, how do we Teach and train our kids and right. our, our young people. Uh, let me pause there. What what would you add to that?
0: I would say, um, you know, I think you referenced it before. It's there's a, a pendulum on some of these things that kind of swings back and forth over the course back and forth over the course of time. And so, for example, I think the family minister is a it's more you, common, right? Yeah. It's more common. But yeah. I think that is because we, the pendulum swung away from having a minister of education. Right. And they're like, Oh, wait a second. You know, we, need we to lost some stuff in, we that, lost move, some stuff right. in that move. Right. So we're going to shift back and have somebody that is looking, you know, over all of this, over the education portions, the, the curriculum, the Bible studies from birth up to, you know, adults. So I, I think there, uh, you see some of those things. I, I, still think that it's very common to have that minister of education, um, for a while there, you know, you would hear sometimes they would be called an associate, uh, these days, everybody has an executive pastor, even if they only have two or three staff, um, which is in some ways, it's, it's, it's in some ways just another, uh, Name for
2: renaming the position. Oh, yeah, that's some of it. You know, discipleship pastor. um, I know when I went to served a church in, in Ohio. Um, that my title was Associate Pastor of Discipleship and Evangelism. But I function very much like a minister of education. Um, but then you add the small group thing. And and so some churches, they'll they'll say a pastor of discipleship. Right. Because they really want to make sure that there's this focus on maturation and not just programming. Right. Um, so that's been out there for, for a while as
0: well. I think one of the interesting things, too, though, is – uh, I I believe over the course of time you've seen churches add staff, and you hear different ratios than you used to when I was coming up and through. I mean, I'm 44, just turned 44, folks. Wow, uh, last month, yeah. Happy birthday! Thank you. Uh, the and and if you go back, I, I think it used to be oh, you know, staffing your church for growth became a thing. Um, along with Church Growth Movement. And so it was like, okay, well, here's how many staff you have for, you know, ratios of how many people you're serving, all that. Um, But now I think that has gone from like, you know, 150 to 100. And you'll hear guys commonly say, well, you know, you need a staff person for every 100 people. And I'm like.
2: Active uh, people, right? Isn't that typically uh, qualified? Yeah, not just members. Yeah. Yeah. And so,
0: well, some churches, its members. Uh, okay. <laughs> at the same time, you also have um, things like health insurance and uh, different piece, different pieces of paying for staff. That man, it's just uh, it's it's not what it used to be, and so a church can get off on its budget really, sure. really quickly. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. If they're not careful because of that very thing. And so personally, I believe this is one of those issues that the pendulum is probably going to swing at some point in time. And it's probably going to be we're going to be forced to from an economic standpoint um, to address maybe having overstaff in our structure and what I think churches, you know, common churches look like today.
1: Brad, I want to go back to something you were talking about was that strategy comes before structure. And right. I just think that's so key of what, you're, yeah. of what we're talking about today. And if you don't understand what you're even wanting to run towards, like, yeah. what is your unique strategy? You're going to end up just saying, well, that church down the road or that church that we, you know, we've been looking up to, they did this. So let's just do that. And all of a sudden, I mean, to go back to Todd's analogy of the house, like you've just added these ministries on that have no, you know— they're not seamless together. They're not running towards the same mission. So I love what you said about that paper that you were writing, like the ministry philosophy. What's the, the keyword there is ideal ministry philosophy. So let's say somebody listened to this, you know, let's say they were to write that just, maybe that's a exercise you did on your own. Like, Hey, let's just take a step back of what we have going on here. What would be the ideal structure layout? What's our strategy before we even start talking about structure? We're going to kind of jump ahead to another question that we have, but, um, what would you say? Of course, they're not in the ideal situation. Mm -hmm. What would you say to them of saying, how do we get towards that? Like where we, how do we go from where we are, the reality that we're in now Mm -hmm. to where we want to be? Some of a restructuring of of this, of the staff.
2: And, and, you know, at the the risk of sounding kind of um, obvious here, it's, that's leadership. That's what a, that's what a senior leadership or leadership team, that's their responsibility Mm -hmm. to help Within, within the guidance of scripture, of course, it's the leadership's responsibility to set the course, to, to establish the strategy, to cast the vision and to then bring alignment. So a lot of churches don't have alignment. They have some key words that they might call strategy or they may have some key lingo that they call their values or their vision or whatever. Right. But then there's no alignment of people, money, staff, to, to, to be, to really have an, in, I'd almost say the word integrity to the whole thing, you know, that we're actually going to behave in accordance with what we say is our mission, vision, values. And so it, it, that's the leader's job. And, and, and so sometimes it can take some time to get everybody aligned and bought in, but it, it, I believe in in most of the churches I've been involved with, the lead pastor it, it takes the primary responsibility to get the staff thing right. Right, I would agree.
0: Uh, I think it's a it's a culture creation, yes, but it's also um, cultivation. So the it, the interesting thing to me is going to uh, a church who's done you know Oxano's process for for instance on vision clarity and right. and, and finding their, their vision and values. And they've got those down now, but then they haven't done anything differently. Right. They haven't then said, okay, if this is who we are and what we're about, we need to now align the ministry resources from a people standpoint, right. staffing standpoint, right. money standpoint, um, announcements standpoint. Yeah. Like I, I'm, what gets, I'm talking. am
1: priority. Yeah. It's
0: priority. Absolutely. And so, um, you know, that's why I, I love, um, the vision framing process that Oxano does. Cause it does bring clarity, Yeah. Uh, but it it's then, okay, well it's not going to move you to where you want to be unless you add that strategy of implementation and you're, you're, you know, pruning some things, mm-hmm. uh, and, and planting some other things. So. Yeah,
1: and go back to what you said, Brad. You actually have to stay within your vision. Yeah, <laughs> and it takes to, discipline. Absolutely. You know, because Incredible there's
2: discipline. scope creep is what we would call it, right? Yeah. And mission creep or whatever. And it takes somebody who's kind of being the quarterback and, and helping stay within the strategy. And uh, one other thing came in, uh, to my mind, Chandler, would be that I think's uh, relevant here is even if you because one of the questions here about how do you structure a staff and I'm, I'm going to say that's contextual, um, strategy drives that. But even if you, this, if you're able, it's, it's feasible to bring in say age graded staff, you know, mm. children, student, et cetera. Uh, they still need to understand that their job is to disciple and equip people. Mm. So they, they have to own the, the broader vision of the church. Yeah. So their activities and their uh, what they do every day, every week, every month has to align with the the mission vision values of the church, the strategy if you if you will. Even though they're doing it over in this one area, but they can't be off just kind of doing their own thing. It's got to be aligned. It's, yeah. It's contextualizing the vision to the children's ministry. Right, exactly. It's not a different vision. No. No, it's like a
1: totally different church. Right. <laughs> a church within the church. I've I've yeah. seen that. I've experienced that. Yeah. So before we move on to the next question, we're talking about structure. Um, let, let me just ask this question. How should an org chart in a church function? Like how often should you review it? Should you even create one? I know some churches might be listening like org chart. What? You know, we don't really have one. Should we create one? How is that helpful to a church? It goes back to clarity. Yeah, absolutely. What Brad said. Yeah, absolutely. And... You know, I, the
2: frequency with which you tweak that and change it, I, I don't know. You know, uh, the church is subject to changes like, uh, you know, secular organization. I mean, there's lots of change in the way people think about um, church. And so, you know, there, there could be ongoing adjustments that you make um, based on effectiveness. So the key is, so, you know, one of the books we all love around here is, the four disciplines of execution, but the whole idea of what are you getting? What are the results? Mm-hmm. And if, if you're getting the results that you believe are biblically prescribed, um, th- then, you know, you don't necessarily have to monkey with everything all the time. But so the outcomes, at the risk of sounding too much like a business person here, but the outcomes, I think, drive whether or not there needs to be adjustment to the strategy. Yeah. No matter how beautiful
0: your mission statement is, no matter how elegant it it is, and how well it rolls off the tongue, how sticky it is, eventually you have to you have to take a look at the results. Exactly, you can't just keep saying it. Um, so, I, I, I man, I, I love that. You know the 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 way that I think that you do that is the more clarity you have in your vision and values, the easier it will be to measure what's important, Yep, the easier it will be to lead change, to reorganize, because all these people, there's a lot of people listening to this they are like, oh yeah, my church reorgs every two or three years, whether they need to or not.
1: It's about that time again. It's about that time.
0: (laughs) Um, uh, There's a problem, so... So we can chase the uh, new cool fad thing, which just can be a problem. Right? Um, But I would say the more clear you are the the more easy, obvious, and strategic it's going to be for everybody to make that chi- shift, um, to make that change, um, you know, to, to reorg or whatever. It's going to be natural for everyone. Now, in order to do that, um, going back to what Brad said earlier, it is not having those siloed areas of ministry. Yes, you have these specialized things. Uh, and yeah, it's important to know how a preschooler thinks and when they're capable of this type of thought and when they're capable of understanding the gospel, all of that. And we want those people to carry that for our church and have that specialization. Yes, absolutely. But they have to be able to contextualize the vision, values, mission that we all are a part of. And if they do, they're much more open to change as things come uh, as, as things roll along and, you know, ministry is going to change that um, methodology is going to change. Sure. And, you know, there's there's two more lanes on the highway out in front of your church and three subdivisions going in and suddenly even the demographics
2: yeah. change. Sure. So you've yeah. got to be able to to roll with that. Yeah. Another thing Chandler and Todd, I would just throw in on this is sometimes uh, pastors struggle. Um, or personnel team struggle because they tried to um, determine their strategy based on the gifts and competencies of their current staff. Mm. And that can be wrongheaded. So, in other words, I'm thinking here, you know, my job isn't to try to help make, you know, Joe successful per se, by re- reassigning his assignments and creating a different seat for him. Now that can be good, yeah. but but the focus is wrong. This isn't about making your staff happy and successful unless it's lines up with the overall, again, at the risk of redundancy, the strategy. So sometimes you you have to move some people off the bus. I'm just, mm. to be honest, you can have the wrong people who either aren't aligned with the philosophy or the theology, or they don't have the right skills and competencies. So
1: don't make it about the staff.
2: The yeah. What's that? They didn't grow along with the church. Yeah.
1: yeah. Well, we've been talking a lot about paid staff and structure. Let's get to the volunteer aspect of this, which is makes up a large portion of who we're leading in the church. How do you structure a volunteer staff, those volunteer teams, and make sure that they are effective and aligning with the strategy as well?
2: Well, obviously, Todd can speak to that, but uh, that's where he puts a lot of his energy. But I'll I'll just simply make a brief statement, then I'm going to bounce it to Todd. So um, when I was my last full-time church position, I was responsible for assimilating New members, grounding new believers, and for using an old term, mobilizing the laity, equipping the laity. And um, at that time, Leadership Network was was addressing this issue, and I learned a lot from them. But I sort of just pieced it together over time. Mm. But you do have to have a a strategy of moving people incrementally toward maturity, figuring out who they are, how God's gifted them how they fit into the broader strategy of the church and how can you help make that easier? Uh, how do you coach them, teach them, equip them, and then encourage them along the way? So uh, I call that a lay ministry strategy. And Todd and I've talked about this many times. So I'm going to pause here and uh, and throw this back to Todd. So uh, I would say,
0: again, the reason why you do this is, is for clarity. So if we're going in and doing pipeline, whether it's with a... Uh, group of churches or or one church, um, a lot of times one of the things, one of the pieces of one of the exercises is to draw your org chart. And I'm sure you probably know that when somebody draws their org chart, half of them, it, it, it's, um, it's something that's produced once a year. It's not top of mind. They don't understand it or they miss a whole wing of it or they add Mm -hmm. something later it's interesting to watch uh the biggest element that is often a concern for me that's concerning enough but it is that they don't include volunteers (laughs) they don't include anybody who's not paid which is crazy honestly anybody who's not paid they leave off their org chart yeah Wow. And so it's to say, okay, when we structure our volunteer staff, it really is not just the, the. you may be lucky enough to have somebody who's retired and gives you a lot of time, like 20 hours or something. Uh, but it's not that. We're, we're talking about every volunteer, every leader, if you have coaches, you know, whatever your structure is, making sure that that is clear for everybody to know how they line up. Um I did a nine esl not too long ago on five or six different types of staffing structures. Um, so, you know, you have the classic org chart, of course. It's kind of a, a pyramid. Um, you have the horizontal uh, flat org chart um, that's like, you know, everybody reports up to one person. <laughs> Um, there's all different kinds of this, but I think one of the, one of the best ones is when you can actually have smokestacks of synergy. Okay. So, um, I did that one just to say, Hey, we need to recognize that you do have specialty areas of the church. You may again, be lucky enough to have age grades and, um, different types of ministry, Um, But across those ministry, you have to recognize, especially among your lay leaders and volunteers, they are going to serve an average of two to three times, not just once in your ministry area, but two or three times across the church. So it's important to have to recognize, yes, all these ministries are individually different. You know, there is a, um, you know, column. Uh, going down for the students, a column going down for adult ministry or whatever you want to call it, um, but recognizing that at the same time, there are people serving across that ministry. So when I say smokestacks of synergy, just picture you know multiple columns and then going right across the middle is the synergistic portion. That can be your core training. That can be your core classes or your discipleship stuff or uh, you know something like a shape class. Uh, but it definitely needs to be your vision and values. It definitely needs to be some of those key things. I would say to make it even uh, better than that is to even add some of your systems that go across because we all have a tendency to add different systems and stuff there as well. If you really want to confuse your volunteers just leave all those things separate, <laughs>
1: uh,
0: because they will feel like they're serving in two or three different churches. Yeah, uh, not the same church.
1: One of my favorite things that we do during Pipeline Coaching Days is when we do the ministry audit and we ask, basically, draw out your work chart. Right, and you say, you know, hey, r- draw kind of how many reports that you have, and of course, they, how many you need, and how many you need. But then I I can't remember where we were doing this, but somebody, it was like 63 volunteers or something crazy was reporting to one person. And then kind of talking about the coach aspect, you know, we talked about pipeline, volunteer, leader, coach, ministry director, that coach aspect, I think is, I've seen kind of the light bulb come on for a lot of, um, you know, church leaders on this aspect where it goes back to equipping. When you have 60 to 100 people reporting to you who are volunteers, (laughs) I mean, you are, you have... Hoarded all of the, the responsibility, right? And Todd, I'll let you speak into this from your days at mclean I think you all did a really good job of elevating coaches who were not on staff right to be able to coach other volunteers well and
0: it uh, You have to have scalability for something like your small groups ministry for instance If you have a large church and groups is really important to you and you have a lot of people in groups then the average person can only develop six people tops. So like 60 5 to 6 people. is <laughs> not a good number cuz you can't possibly do that. If yeah. you're really good, you might be able to delegate to a dozen, 18, 20 if you're just really gifted administratively, you can probably delegate or communicate somewhat effectively, but you're not going to develop those people. If you're have 60 direct reports, you're for sure dumping on those people. Yeah. And that is uh, old Howard Hendricks dumping, delegating, developing. Dirty, dirty delegation. Yeah. That's dirty delegation. Dirty delegation. Yeah. (laughs) That's very helpful. So, yeah, I mean, I hope that yeah. answers uh, answers your question. Yeah, so if you're
1: listening to this and you're like, hey, what does a coach uh, in a ministry look like? I mean, it's simply being able to equip one person who equips other volunteers. So if you want to well, that's I mean, that's
0: at every level of the pipeline. The fruit yeah. of a volunteer is another volunteer who's led by a leader who's hopefully developing other leaders, who's led by a coach, who's also – developing other coaches. Now, when you get into a structure like a small group and it's small group structure and you have a lot of groups again, what you have to understand is each one of these things is not a level. Uh, There can be layers within a level. So within our coaching, we ended up with coaches, senior coaches, and super coaches uh, in order to be able to (laughs) Democratize development and yeah. democratize oversight yeah. and ministry because yeah. democracy, you know, is 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 for everybody, uh, and we wanted to say, hey, leadership is for everybody, and leadership development is for everybody. MPS, yeah. so is evangelism and making disciples. And who make
2: disciples? It's not yeah. just yeah. bring your friend here. Uh, you know,
0: in in our, our setting here, a Lifeway
2: way uh, often we've used the term centralization versus decentralization. Mm-hmm. But the concept I that I that makes sense to me is what Todd has just described is what I'd call decentralization. It's it's moving the work and spreading the work out over a broad base of people and versus just a few who just nearly you're you know they're killing themselves trying to do it all yeah. usually the staff. So you decentralize, although it has again it has to be aligned to the strategy. we've said that several times. But that word is can sometimes resonate with people. Decentralized, well, and centralization is a direct result
0: of risk or, or fear, perceived risk Often, or fear. Yeah, I agree. And so you know your church grows, and you're like, oh, there's too much at stake now. We we have to start hiring staff, and you know, or excellence, or whatever fill in the blank. We sometimes use it's control
2: too. It's it like is. it's a little scary to just unleash people. Uh, to do the work of ministry, honestly, <laughs> you know. Um, you, you actually do want to do it all There's so another <laughs>
0: exercise that we yeah. do that, you know, talks yeah. about different leadership challenges, and it really all boils down to do you struggle with control, pride, fear, or time? Yeah. Because that's the reason why you're or doing bad theology, ministry. like or bad not theology. even <laughs> knowing that
2: Ephesians four eleven through sixteen exists.
0: <laughs> where's, where's that it's name? you know, I mean, you know, you could say uh, you could use the excuse of excellence, yeah. but that could boil down to, oh, I think I can do it better than anybody else. Pride. Uh, that can boil down to. Um, Todd, you, you don't understand my senior pastor if the microphone goes out one more time during the service. Like, we have to hire somebody to do that. Mm-hmm. I mean, it could be fear. Yeah. It could be it's yeah. e- easier to do myself. I mean, all those things are mm-hmm. excuses that we have for actually giving the ministry away. But way.
1: seeing when you, when you, you know, develop someone and see them kind of come to life and understand what it is like to serve the church. Yeah. I mean, that's when you see it's a ministry... Blast. I mean, it's just, yeah, it's a blast. It's a blast. So let's, uh, we'll lay the plane with this question. Um, how does church staff structure set up churches for growth? So I, th- yeah, I thought
2: about that. And, and to, to me, again, at the risk of saying some things I've already said, but, <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, it, I think when you get clarity about who you are and what you're supposed to be doing, and we don't have to invent that. Yeah, it's the scriptures loaded with prescriptions. Um, although I, I like the Oxano process and and other consulting ministries, the Rainer Ministries, and whatnot, that help people bring some contextualized clarity, some local DNA. I think I'm all about that. But once you get your sort of biblical mission clear, your DNA figured out, um, and and then and then you hire people. To fit in with that, so it I think that causes growth,
0: hmm.
2: and that could be qualitative and quantitative growth. You get the right plan in place and the right people on board who are empowered and they're held accountable, and there are clear outcome expectations. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Um, if if you're in a context, you know, where there's opportunity. Uh, the church will grow quantitatively
1: and quantitatively. That's great. Everybody's moving in the same direction. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. I'd, I'd, I'd go back to the, if you want to grow your church, you got to grow your people. Um, and you're not going to be able to do that unless you have a clear strategy to do so. Otherwise, they're just going to choose from the menu of options that you give them. Um, you know, this is my broken record, maps, not menus. <laughs> um and strategically pruning anything that doesn't align with your purpose as a church of making disciples who make disciples, uh, the vision, the contextualized vision that's unique to your church and and mission and values that are unique to your church. It's those things. Anything that does not align with that uh, needs to be pruned.
1: So you may may have tuned into this episode for structure, and hopefully it is helpful, but (laughs) you're going to walk away with Focus on your strategy. (laughs) (laughs) You want to know
0: what
2: structure to have. Absolutely,
1: but my takeaway from this is focus on your strategy and be disciplined in the implementation. Yeah, and
2: alignment keyword. Most people won't remember Todd's historical analysis, although there were some nuggets (laughs) in there. But (laughs) just open Google,
0: look up some words. He didn't say nuggets of what. (laughs) Yeah. Thanks for listening.
1: Well, thanks so much for listening. We hope this has been helpful for you to learn how to structure your church staff and also focus on the strategy. Uh, If you want to find more resources, you can actually go to ministrygrid.com backslash church staff, and you can find more resources for free until the end of January and tune in next week. Next Thursday, we'll be talking about how to develop and lead your church staff. See you next week.